Brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Matthew chapter 10 verses 21 and 22. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Several weeks ago, uh, I went over to Fort Benning uh, to visit Father Bob Davis, who uh, filled in for me one of those weeks when I was gone. So most of you, I believe, uh, met him. And uh, Father Bob gave me a a tour of that uh, very impressive base. And as we were driving around, we saw hundreds of uh, soldiers uh, training, going through all kinds of routines. I saw guys jumping out of towers and ziplining out of towers and running with huge uh, bags of gear and sprinting on courses and everything. And the question I I ask is, why were they doing these things? They were, right, of course, preparing themselves for combat. You don't need to ever jump out of an airplane during peacetime, although some choose to. (laughs) You jump out of an airplane into enemy territory. And and when when you do that, if you were to, say, jump out of an airplane into enemy territory, um, how will you be welcomed by those on the ground? I don't mean your own allies. I mean the enemy. Are they going to come at you and say, oh, welcome to our country. We see you've come and joined us. Of course not. You enter from the very beginning opposed to the enemy and them opposed to you. And as has played out in many uh, combat theaters in the last century, shots can be fired before your boots even touch the ground. The young men and women at Fort Benning were getting this training because they were expecting to be opposed. And if they ever do have to jump out of a plane, uh, they need to know exactly how to do it safely and efficiently so they can immediately be useful upon landing because the opposition is going to be close at hand and there won't be any time to putz around and figure things out. Uh, Now in all this uh, that I'm describing, there's a principle that very much applies to the gospel that we just heard this morning. You know, gospel means good news, but this morning's gospel, it's only really good news because it's a warning. It's a heads up for a very real bad that is coming to the disciples. Jesus is telling the disciples, and as with all the gospel readings, therefore he's telling us, right, because we are his disciples, that like soldiers, we should expect to be opposed. Did you catch Jesus' logic in that, that middle section of the reading when he says that a disciple isn't above his teacher? He's saying that if the world calls Jesus Beelzebul, which is the nickname they had back then for Satan, if the Son of God himself gets called Satan, do you think the followers will get treated any less? We who are imperfect when he is perfect? If they slammed him, to paraphrase, uh, the world will slam us also. So what this gospel is offering, teaching, what I wish to offer is that we need to expect opposition from the world as Christians. Now, having said that, I think to say such a statement like that is prone to be misinterpreted. So I want to clarify a few things. To clarify just what is meant by the world and what sort of opposition we could expect. So when we say the world will oppose us, I think sort of in, the, in sort of today's political moment, we sort of think about some sort of enemies kind of over there in wherever Stan, right? 
But actually, in the gospel context, the world that will oppose us, it's, it's, our, it's our neighbors. It's our American neighbors. This isn't about foreign threats. This is about domestic threats. Literally, your brother and sister, it says, will hand you over. Uh, for some of you, um, this is a literal reality. I know that you have biological family opposed to you because of your faith and what that looks like in your life. But I think for all of us, I think this is something, uh, sort of a, a generational warning when it talks about this sort of vile image of children handing over their parents. I think this is something we see, uh, it almost plays itself out every generation, but especially now, the younger generation, my generation, of whom I'm mostly ashamed, uh, starting to make more and more demands on what needs, we should do as a society that are increasingly unchristian, uh, increasingly opposed, in fact, to a Christian way of life. Um, Jesus, you know, at one point he says um, to people sort of who are working for the gospel but are kind of a different stripe, you know, the disciples say, we found these other people preaching for you. He says, oh, if they're not against us, they're for us. So when talking about common mission, it's like a, we cast the, the sort of the group wide. But elsewhere in the gospel, when talking about opposition, he says, oh, if they're not for us, they're against us. Um, the, the world, anyone who is not a Christian may be against us at some point. Um, and there's actually one sort of portion of society that I wish to name in particular. So Jesus says that brothers and sisters may turn on us, and that he means that literally. But I think in a figurative sense too, um, increasingly more and more we see churches uh, watering down the gospel and changing the gospel and sort of replacing it with this sort of strange amalgamation of some ideas, mixture of good and bad, but this sort of this sort of almost um, quasi-liberal socialism, which I'm not saying is bad in itself in all its parts, but just to say they're replacing the gospel with that. And, and these folk are actually tolerant of most anybody except traditional Christians. So keep it, they keep the name Christian. We, in, that, in that, they're like our brother or sister, um, but we may expect to be opposed by them as well. Um, I want to sort of offer, if this all sounds a bit abstract, um, if, if nobody is opposing your faith, if you don't know any wolves, as Jesus says, sheep among wolves, if you don't know any wolves who are biting at your heels, at the heels of your faith, uh, Jesus actually says there's, a, there's reason to be cautious if you find that to be true about yourself. In fact, more than cautious, in Luke he says, woe to you when all men speak well of you. I think what Jesus is saying there is if everybody speaks well of you and no one in the world, no non-Christians that you know, no one's opposed to you, it, it may mean, it doesn't have to mean, but it may mean that you're not living a recognizably Christian life. The world doesn't sniff out anything that's worth opposing. It was Adrian Plass, who's a great writer, who self-deprecatingly said something to the effect of that, you know, when he reads in Acts, when St. Paul enters a town, he's often driven out by pitchforks and when he goes traveling and visits a town, he's received with cups of tea and scones. And he just pointed out, like, you know, we've got to remember the gospel has some teeth to it. So that's the who of the opposition, um, to clarify. But I also want to clarify what sort of opposition uh, might we expect. Here in the gospel, Jesus minces no words. He plainly says to his apostles, and this was a prophecy for them literally, right, that their death, would be their ultimate end, the death at the hands of others, the holy death of bearing witness to Christ, as we call it now, martyrdom, which comes from the Greek word martyr, which just means witness. 
Um, so, uh, don't get me wrong, I, I don't want to, I'm not trying to sound any alarm bells. I know there's people kind of saying, like, chicken diddle, the end is near, the end is near. I, I think the end is still a good way off. Um, I don't think we'll be martyred in this country anytime soon. Uh, but in the meantime, we can expect lesser persecutions, certainly. Uh, maybe loss of tax breaks, maybe losing jobs for conscience. Restrictions we may have on public worship, these things might come. Um, but in speaking about martyrdom, which is sort of the main thing I want to uh, shine light on this morning. I'm not trying to say, oh yeah, this is going to happen, watch out. I'm wanting to give a paradigm, a way of thinking about what we should expect as Christians in the world. What's, what's normal? That's kind of what I'm wanting to talk about. Namely, that as Christians, we should live every day so allied to our Lord that we'd be ready for martyrdom should it come and wouldn't be surprised if it does. We wouldn't be like, wait, what's happening? That it would actually be a normal expectation. And it, as it is for many, many Christians around the world, from Nigeria to Pakistan, open up the world news, uh, and you see that you know, we, we sort of have all these uh, national domestic disputes, which are important in their own way, but they can eclipse sort of the bigger things which are happening in the world as well. Around the world, Christians have the very real prospect uh, of being killed, and they're meeting it with peacefulness and the faithfulness of the ready church. They're ready to die for their Lord who died for them. And something I've experienced over here in America is when these martyrdoms get reported, I think we can actually react to it in the wrong way. I think sometimes, and I see this even in myself, that we react as if what's happening is abnormal, like, oh my gosh, what's happening? The Christians are being killed. As if it's somehow strange that a dark world would wish to kill children of light, as the scripture calls us. But it's actually not strange. That's actually the normal Christian life, as Jesus says, to expect opposition. So we, I just what I want to say here is then is that we think you know that part of the normal Christian life as we experience it is having religious freedom, but that's actually not the case. You know, I mean, I'm thankful for religious freedom. It does certainly makes life more comfortable. And uh, but governments they grant freedom, they take them away. When you look at history, it comes and goes. That's not our security and our surety and our kind of our normal vision of the Christian life. No, the normal Christian life is not actually, kind of, when you look at all the Christians in history, there's much more martyrdom than there is sort of tolerations and religious freedom. So when we sort of reconceive of what's normal, uh, what we might expect others uh, to do to us, we realize actually then that our freedoms can never be taken away, right? That a government can't stop me from praying. The worst they can do is torture and kill me, which is terrible if there were no Lord, no afterlife, no reward. But as Jesus says in verse 28 of our passage, do, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. And here actually my opening illustration is, is, is not very good because uh, it breaks down. Soldiers prepare themselves to fight back, right? To oppose the opposition they're going to be landing in. But as Christians, our preparation is different. When it comes to our faith, we don't brace to fight the world we actually brace to be killed by it. No martyr, you, I've read a lot of martyrologies, there is not a single martyr in Christian history who died fighting, right? They die because they're not fighting. They're trusting in the Lord to further their faith and to defend their own cause. Okay, so having said these things, um, I think there's a, a danger in talking about martyrdom. Uh, it's the, it's the, a subtle but... It, a huge difference 
between the martyr spirit, which I'm wanting to kind of encourage and remind us of this morning, and, and a martyr complex. It was an old professor of mine once said, um, the funny thing about real martyrs is they never have martyr complexes. A martyr spirit uh, is unsurprised by opposition of the world and, and is ready to lay down one's life if the Lord asks for it. But the martyr complex is, is seeking to be a victim and, and really trying to die on all the wrong hills. Seeking to be special in some fleshly uh, sort of way. Um, do you see the difference between those two things? A martyr spirit and a martyr complex? No, maybe? A little bit? Okay. So, uh, wanting to be clear about that... Um, I'm not trying to say that we should be, you know, it would be a, a martyr complex to, to yell and clamor whenever the world comes against us as Christians. There's no cause for yelling and clamoring. On the contrary, like I've been saying, we should expect it, take it in stride. And I also think that we, another danger with sort of um, the martyr complex is sort of wanting to take all the things that we hold dear and kind of die for them all at once. And I, th- I see that as a danger in our sort of cultural moment as well, to sort of... Um, take something which we hold precious, like our Christianity, and then something else we hold precious, and sort of lump them together and, and try and fight for it um, on the defensive. Um, and I think if we do that, we do damage to the... We, we gain nothing eternally, and we do damage to the faith. And so, to speak really concretely, you know, America may change. And that might be sad. There may be terrible changes. Political parties may change. Neighbors may change. Things may not be what we used to. And we're right to care about these things and be invested in them. But we need to not be careful not to ally it with our sense of defending the faith and defending Christianity. Caring about the America and all these things is a different battle. Uh, and we fought very differently than the defense of the faith, than the witness uh, to the faith. And Because I, I think sometimes what can happen is um, we can think that because we're hated by others, we're being hated because we're a Christian, but we actually have to be careful. Wait, is it some other thing I'm being hated for? We might be appropriately hated, in fact. Um, Jesus doesn't commend us just because other people oppose us. He commends us when we are opposed for his name's sake. Verse 22. So that's, that's the difference. So, um, who may come against us? Anyone? What might we suffer? Anything up to martyrdom? What should our response be? Unsurprised? Just w- taking it in stride. And that brings us uh, to the very last thing I wish to say about this gospel this morning. Um, And that's just simply the why. Why would we be willing martyrs uh, before an oppositional world? Uh, Jesus tells us plainly, he says, because the one who endures to the end will be saved. He says we're to stand firm in the faith against any and all worldly opposition because it's in doing so that our faith is proven to be genuine. If we endure to the end, through opposition, we'll be saved. And I I think this actually ties in very nicely with the reading we heard from Romans this morning as well. That we are justified freely by faith. That's the free gift. That's the beginning of salvation. But the working out of salvation through the course of our lives until our dying breath is the proving of that faith. It's receiving the fullness of salvation which we received, uh, began to receive when we were justified in the beginning of our Christian life. But Jesus says, if we wish to inherit eternal life, if we wish to make it to the end, uh, we must remain faithful to Christ through thick and thin. And there is a risk here sort of thinking of it as like tit for tat, like, well, if I just remain faithful, then I get eternal life. But when you look at the lives of those who have died for Christ, they're not inspired by just some sort of, well, you know, I just got to do this so I can live forever. Um, 
they're inspired by love. You know, they're, they're beholding the Lord who died for them has inspired such a love to say, okay, Lord, you died for me, I'll die for you. I sort of think of it as um, sort of, I mean, it's almost just like a uh, betrothal of some kind, like to not leave the Lord jilted at the altar. He's laying down, he has laid down and offers his laying down of, of his life to us and he's inviting us to return that love and to lay down our life for him. So it's not just a cold exchange, it's a response of love to be saved by enduring to the end. Um, so to conclude, uh, you know, I've been mentioning how um, in this next season of sermons, I want to connect these things to our prayer lives. I think one of the things that is a life-giving prayer to pray is for grace to endure. Any opposition we may face, it might just be a cold look from a relative, or maybe being called into a foreign mission field and being executed for your faith. Anywhere on that spectrum to pray for the grace to endure what the Lord would have for you. And for that martyr spirit that even in our daily lives, when there's no persecution, would be ready and offering to give our all to him who gave us his all. So I encourage you to build that in to the shape of your prayer life. Amen.